Hi, everybody. This is Locked On Nittany Lions, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire. Today is Thursday, April 9th. 2020 and we're still wondering when sports are going to get back into a normal routine but until then we're going to have some fun today by taking a look back at a past season as we get involved with the Locked On Podcast Network's best franchise seasons uh, theme that we've got going on across the network. Today we're going to be talking about the 2005 Penn State football season but before we do that we are going to touch on some of the headlines that are coming around the country as we touch base to see how the college football world is reacting to the latest COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, some interesting developments happened yesterday outside of Penn State. We'll take a look at that real quick. Then we'll dive into taking a little bit of a look back at the 2005 season. I'll share some of my memories of that season with you as well. And I'll wrap it up, I've got a question in our mailbag that we'll uh, have some fun with as well. And I do need to admit that I was exposed by Old Takes Exposed recently. And I'm going to readily admit that I was flat out wrong. And I deserve to be called out and ridiculed for it. So sit back, relax if you're at home. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast and all your favorite podcasting apps. You can also rate and review to help us out a little bit during your time at home. And I'm sure a lot of you are probably listening. start today's show by taking a step back from the Penn State football scene and take a look at what's happening around the country. We have seen a number of college football coaches put out some various PSAs, uh, including LSU's Ed Orgeron, Tom Herman at Texas, I believe Ryan Day at Ohio State did something, and we're seeing a number of coaches touch on the severity of what's going on in the real world right now with COVID-19 and the slash the coronavirus and how it has effectively shut down a, a a large majority of the country in many respects, which is why many of you listening to this are probably listening from home. I would guess the odds are probably pretty good that that is the case. And we know that James Franklin has spoken out about the the need to be urgent about this. And he had his own PSA with his daughters that we talked about uh, recently on the podcast. And we, we know how serious he is taking it. Now, we've seen some comments from some other coaches that I'm not going to say they aren't taking everything seriously, but it does raise some eyebrows. And we saw Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State put out the the idea that he wants to get his players back as soon as possible. Uh, I believe he said May. I didn't see the exact quote, but the gist of what I got from uh, from what I saw it sounded like he wanted to, to get things back in order as quickly as possible. Uh, and obviously, everybody wants to get back as quickly as possible. There, we shouldn't. Uh, read too much into what some of these statements that and, and comments being thrown out there are, uh, but it is kind of misguided, I would say, to suggest that it may be a reality, a realistic expectation, the way things are tracking right now. It doesn't look very optimistic that you're going to have uh, the chance to get your college football team back on campus sometime in May. Now, maybe it varies from state to state. That's probably fair to say as well. And of course, uh, this is an ongoing thing. We're all kind of adjusting on the fly. Uh, Just doesn't look like the decisions that are being made out there generally are going to allow college football practices or a college football routine in the offseason to kind of get back in gear the way that you're accustomed to. 
So I don't know if Mike Gundy is just misguided, misinformed. I don't know what the situation with Mike Gundy is. I don't know enough about it off the top of my head as I'm recording this as of now. But I do think that uh, it's pretty telling that Oklahoma State put out a statement kind of clarifying that Oklahoma State is going to take every precaution and follow all the expert medical advice that is out there and take the lead from the conference and the and the, uh, the governor of Oklahoma, and they'll follow suit with everything that's coming in from above their ranks. So we all know college football coaches, they make a lot of money, but they aren't the ones that are going to make these decisions on when teams can get back into their routine. Now, shifting gears over to Clemson with Dabo Sweeney, who's never seen a camera or a microphone he didn't want to speak out to. Uh, and I applaud him for that for many reasons. But sometimes, as we've seen recently, he's kind of uh, sticks to his guns a little bit too tightly. And that's um, probably not a great look, the way that he is putting out some statements out there. We all saw a lot of talk in recent days about Dabo Sweeney saying that he, he has no fear about this thing, shutting college football down. He, he's very confident that college football is going to kick off as scheduled, and he's, he's flying, flying with his family on a private jet to a, home, a second home, I believe, a vacation home in Florida, uh, not worried about the, the travel because the plane has been sanitized. It's a lot of stuff that I, I think is actually okay. <laughs> I think in those conditions, if you're leaving from your, your one home to another home, yes, you are putting other people at risk because while your family may feel safe, you, they've still got a pilot. I'm sure there's probably a co-pilot. You probably have somebody driving you to and from the airport, to and from your home, uh, to your other home. There are other people that are involved. Just because you feel your family is safe and secure that's great. If you have that luxury, I'm not totally opposed to taking advantage of it in a time like this when there's really nothing else to do. Now, I don't know what he and his family were doing on vacation, so I don't know if there were other plans and I don't know if there was uh, any interaction with anybody else outside of the family. So I don't want to dig too deep into what Dabo Sweeney chose to do in recent weeks. Now, said that before that he was probably going to be doing it again this week for Easter. And again, I'm not totally all in against him, but I do think that the comments he puts out, giving his, the spotlight that he draws in a state that doesn't have the stay home orders in effect. I think it's pretty damaging to what the overall mission of the country is right now. So again, I'm not going to say that Dabo Sweeney's taking this lightly, and I don't think that he is. I think he has uh, put out the message that he he knows that it's serious, but he is putting out a, a message of positivity and a message of optimism. And I, I kind of get that because I've said all along, I'm optimistic to a degree. I, I do think I'm still being a little bit optimistic that we are going to see a college football season and probably... In a, not maybe not in its entirety at this point, but a vast majority of it. Those week zero games are creeping up on us. So I don't know how confident I say that we're going to see those games. But I do think it is very noteworthy. Anytime a college football coach, especially one who has won national championships like Dabo Sweeney, has paid a lot of money like Dabo Sweeney is and Mike Gundy is uh, from those power conferences, they are telling, especially from those states, Oklahoma and South Carolina, 
it doesn't seem like they had the same kind of message that's being thrown out there that we're seeing from other coaches like Ed Orgeron and Tom Herman and, of course, James Franklin. I think it would do the whole sport of college football a lot of good if we could get more of these coaches to be on that same page and be a part of the same team rather than putting out those mixed signals. Again, I'm not saying they take it less seriously than other coaches may, or maybe they're taking it a little bit more seriously behind uh, the, the microphone when they're in their private uh, when they're in their privacy. I don't know what the situation is, but I do know it doesn't look all that great compared to what other coaches have been doing. So I would love to see Dabo Sweeney and Mike Gundy be a little bit more on the side of James Franklin and Ed Orgeron. Uh, but hey, to each his own, I suppose. Let's just all make sure we're doing what we need to do so we can get back to college football at some point. Right now, across the Locked On Podcast Network, every show is having fun taking a look back at some of the best seasons in franchise or school history. Now, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the 2005 Penn State Nittany Lions. But before I do that, I'm going to rewind a little bit further back. Let's go back to the turn of the century. 1999, Penn State finishes the season ranked number 11 in the AP poll after going 10-3 for the season, capped by a victory over Texas A&M, a 24-0 shutout in the Alamo Bowl. The game is a little bit infamous now in retrospect because it was the sending out game for a former defensive coordinator who obviously years later got involved in some a, a massive legal issue. We're not going to dive into that, but I want to give you the context of where Penn State was at the time that that 2005 season came along. Okay, in 1999, they had just finished up, I think, their, what their sixth season in the Big Ten. They've had some good years. Okay, they, they transitioned well into the Big Ten. Obviously, one of those seasons early on in the Big Ten era for Penn State football, we're going to be talking about on this podcast. So you got to stay tuned for that. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one as well. But after that 1999 season, Penn State goes into a little bit of a dry spell. And it was very rare that this extended down period of time uh, for Penn State football of all programs was really something that nobody really quite expected. Now, there were calls that maybe the game had passed Joe Paterno because after 1999, they lose they have losing seasons four out of their next five years. There was one blip on the radar where they go to a bowl game and lose to Auburn. But four out of five seasons with losing records, that was just unheard of for Penn State, especially under Joe Paterno. So as we're going into the 21st century and Penn State is struggling to win games, you hear the calls. You know, the game has passed Joe Paterno. He's doing the program more harm than good by being in charge of the football program and not stepping away and take, having too much pride. All of that changed in 2005 because for the first time ever that we really saw under Joe Paterno, he trusted younger players to take on big key roles. And he 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 allowed things to run a little bit differently with the program. It was a, it was still the Penn State that you had kind of grew up watching where they were going to play some hard nosed defense and they were going to play some gritty offense. But things were opened up a little bit in that 2005 season because they finally decided to let Michael Robinson be the quarterback after years of trying to find a position for him that situated everybody in the offensive well. They finally figured out that Michael Robinson was a quarterback. They let him run the show, and he took that with a badge of honor. He, he is one of the captains, I think, of first 
when I think about all-time great Penn State captains. Because you saw in that 2005 season the kind of heart and grit that he brought to the team. Uh, the, the fact that he was putting that team on his shoulders at times and never letting down was very telling of the kind of character that Michael Robinson certainly uh, gained as he went through his whole process remember you know it's not easy being a guy that has so many talents i mean he could play other positions but penn state just never really felt comfortable situating him as the full-time quarterback they felt like they had other options in play all that changed in 2005 because he finally became the quarterback and they gave him a good young nucleus of wide receivers to play with. And that was the biggest, uh, I think, step forward for where we saw that Penn State team uh, take some strides because all of a sudden they had guys that could make plays through the air. They had those you know, talented wide receivers such as Derek Williams, who was one of the top recruits that Penn State had at the time. Uh, Deion Butler was a redshirt freshman, so he was finally getting a chance to play and show what he can do. And then there was Jordan Norwood, another true freshman. I mean, they were led in the receiving game by a an experienced, battle-tested senior at quarterback with a trio of phenomenal wide receivers that were coming in as a freshman or redshirt freshman. So it was... It was probably the fact that Michael Robinson had been through so much uh, at Penn State leading up to that final season and being the senior leader of that team. And he was able to kind of pro provide some wisdom for those young wide receivers because, remember, <laughs> Michael Robinson was playing wide receiver at times for Penn State. So he probably brought a different eye to what they were seeing on the field. And that obviously went a huge way. But, of course... If you're talking about Penn State, you got to talk about the defense. And let's talk about some of the guys they had on that defense. Paul Pozlozny. Uh, it took me a while to figure out how you spell that last name, but now I could spell it backwards. Well, I'm not going to do that. But uh, Paul Pozlozny is certainly another captain. He was in his junior year. He was obviously becoming one of the greats at, at linebacker for Penn State. The next in line for him, of course, was Dan Connor, who was a sophomore that year. And while they didn't have much of an impact at that point in time, there were a couple of young freshman linebackers that were certainly going to have their moments of glory in the years to come. Josh Hall was a freshman, and of course, Sean Lee was a freshman that year. But of course, we also want to talk about that defensive line. And one of the biggest playmakers who made the play of the year, I think, that can really kind of scroll through your memory banks as light as day, is defensive end. Tom Bahali. Now, of course, he went on to have a really good NFL career, and he got that start as the Lion King at Penn State. And I'm going to get to the big signature moment for Tom Bahali in just a second, but let's run through that schedule real quick because, like I said, that 2005 season, they there weren't a whole lot of great expectations for them. They came into the year unranked. They had to work their way up and regain the confidence of the voters. And it's not surprising, given the the track record of the last you know, four out of the last five years, that Penn State was going to be a program that had to prove something once again. And it, it took a while for people to pick up on that. But a 23-13 victory in the home opener against South Florida, not exactly overconfident, nothing to really write home about at the time. A 42-20 
24-24 victory against Cincinnati in week two. Still not going to do a whole lot of uh, justice for kind of opening the eyes for just how good this team could potentially be. But maybe they got better as the season went along. You know, a 3-0 start was had with a victory over Central Michigan, a 40-3 victory. Again, three really easy non-conference games. That was the kind of schedule that you needed for this Penn State team at that time to really gain that confidence moving forward. And then they go on the road. Their Big Ten opener at Northwestern. It looks like they're going to lose the game, but they come out, they pull it out with Michael Robinson connected on the big pass, 34-29 victory in Ryan Field. That was the momentum builder that they needed. That was what they needed to jumpstart where they were going to be going in the upcoming season. So we didn't really know at the time how big that that was going to be, but certainly when you look back at that season, the victory at Northwestern, probably the most important win of the season for the Nittany Lions. And that's just their Big Ten opener in week four of the season. And then they go into October. They come home. They're playing uh, number 18 Minnesota. Minnesota was a pretty good team at the year. I know we're just coming off the season where Minnesota was really good last year. But remember, Minnesota is not perennially a team that you really look to. And this was a Minnesota team that certainly had a history of knocking off Penn State and kind of derailing some things in Happy Valley. Uh, But this is the number 18 Minnesota team that came in. Penn State's still unranked at the time. So this is a statement game opportunity for a Penn State team that's really starting to feel themselves after their big road escape at Northwestern. And they just smack Minnesota down. Michael Robinson had the hit of the game, if you remember that one. Uh, and he certainly continued to set the tone. 44-14 to was the final score. Statement was made, but not the statement of the season. That would come one week later. Primetime showdown. ESPN's College Game Day is in town. They're getting ready for the big game against number six, Ohio State. Penn State had jumped way up to number 16 on the strength of their start to the season uh, following their 44-14 victory over Minnesota. Tom Bahali once again delivers the hit of the game, taking down Troy Smith and sending him... Feet overhead, I guess. He basically did a handstand as he gets sacked in the final minutes of the game, sealing the game for Penn State because they recovered the fumble. And the swag that Tom Bahali has coming off the field just is something you cannot uh, duplicate. (laughs) He makes the hit, forces the, the fumble that basically seals the game for Penn State. Biggest, loudest game I have ever attended at Penn State. And that was the first game that my wife ever actually saw in Beaver Stadium. So she got quite the introduction to Penn State. I would love to go into more of that at some point in time, uh, but I'm already falling behind where I want to be right now. So the statement's made. Penn State is back, and they are now in the driver's seat of the Big Ten. Now, unfortunately, things take a little bit of a turn the following week. We're going to talk about that in our next segment. So things are looking pretty rosy for Penn State as the middle of October comes around. Penn State has already knocked off uh, ranked opponents in Minnesota and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. At home, the statement feels like it's uh, heading in a positive direction for the Nittany Lions. And all of a sudden, Penn State starts to be talked about as a potential national title contender if a couple things happen. Remember, this is the season where USC and Texas run the gauntlet as number one and number two all season long. Uh, It doesn't matter what happened in this next game for Penn State. Uh, Penn State was never going to beat USC or Texas. They were going to need Texas and or USC to lose 
probably at least once that season in order to get into the BCS uh, picture. But you know what? The, the way the BCS f- was formulated, uh, who knows what could have happened if Texas or USC had been upset uh, during that season. But regardless, Penn State was not able to finish off uh, the task against Michigan on the road and Ann Arbor. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a letdown game, but coming off the emotional high of that blowout of, over Minnesota and the, the thrilling victory over Ohio State, going on the road to play a Michigan team that was actually unranked at the time, but Penn State had just climbed up into the top 10 at number 8 in the AP poll. This is a nail-biter of a game. It was really one of the classics in the, in the series history between Penn State and Michigan. Remember, the last few years we've seen this series, uh, the home team has really had a decisive advantage over the other. There were some close contests between Penn State and Michigan in, in more previous years. And this uh, 2005 game, unfortunately, was one of them. And we all know how this ends with uh, Chad Henney connecting with Mario Manningham on the final play of the game. Similar to how Penn State beat Iowa a couple years ago in Kinnick Stadium. This was that same gut punch, but on the receiving end of it. And there were some really fun plays in this game. Uh, there was, I remember... I don't remember who made the play. I'm going to have to go back and watch this game, and maybe we'll have some fun doing that uh, you know, as much as we can with reliving a loss. But there was one game where Michigan has the ball, and they're going up the field, and uh, all of a sudden you see a Penn State player running with the football. He just stripped it out of the guy's arms and started running the other way. And I, I don't remember who it was. I should have looked that up. I'm sorry for that. But if you saw the game, you probably know which play I'm talking about. And that's that's the moment where I figured, you know what? Penn State's getting a break. These Something's going to go well, and this is going to end very well for Penn State. Obviously, that was not the case. I should have known. <laughs> We've seen Penn State get stoned cold, uh, stunned by, by teams like Michigan and Ohio State and uh, others uh, over the years, certainly at that point in more recent memory. But this was one of those games where even though Penn State took the loss 27-25 to on the final play of the game, Still had a really good vibe about where this Penn State team was. Now, this was going to be a big character test for them because they had uh, to go back on the road the following week. And maybe that was a good thing uh, to to play an Illinois team that was kind of uh, not very good. (laughs) Okay, Uh, Penn State certainly bounced back and they needed that bounce back game because Penn State goes on the road to Illinois, comes away with a 63 to 10 victory. So that was the reminder that this Penn State team had come too far to let one loss really crumble their season. So they were not going to let that happen. They still had a very good chance to claim the Big Ten championship. Of course, this is the season where the Rose Bowl was being used for the BCS championship game. So uh, unless they were going to play for the national championship, which, again, I don't think was ever going to be a realistic possibility. Uh, they knew that they weren't going to go to the Rose Bowl, but to still have a Big Ten title and go to a one of those BCS games, that was uh, something that looked like it was going to be a near impossible dream just within the last few seasons before this. But uh, they go on the road, get that big statement, get that big bounce back win against Illinois. They come home, take care of business against Purdue, 33 to 15. And then they get number 14, Wisconsin coming in. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, like I said, number 14 in the country. Penn State is back in the top 10 at number 10. And this is a game that was supposed to be pretty competitive, but it never really was. 
Uh, Penn State jumps all over Wisconsin. They get a 35 to 14 victory, much more decisive than I think anybody could have predicted because uh, Wisconsin's a good team and uh, Penn State just dismantled them. Uh, they made their really their final statement on where this season was going to be had. And if they were going to claim that Big Ten title, they were going to have to do it on the road in East Lansing against Michigan State. Final game of the, of the regular season. College Game Day made another appearance to a Penn State game. This one for the Lancaster Trophy to see if Penn State could finish off their Big Ten championship season. And they did. A 31-22 victory uh, against the Spartans wrapped up the Big Ten title. And that sent Penn State on to what would be the Orange Bowl, where it looked like they were going to play Virginia Tech out of the ACC, but Florida State gets the Orange Bowl bid after upsetting the Hokies in the ACC championship game. Uh, I still would have rather have seen Penn State play Virginia Tech that season because Virginia Tech was a pretty good team. They were kind of on par with where Penn State was. But there was something pretty cool about seeing Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden go head-to-head in a bowl game. Uh, obviously, this is their last bowl meeting that they ever got a chance to to go square head-to-head against. And this one, of course, in the Orange Bowl game that never seemed to end uh, with the multiple overtimes. It was, a, it was a thriller. A triple overtime game, 26-23. And it really just was the icing on the cake for Michael Robinson's career at Penn State and you know every other player that contributed that season because that was a memorable season for so many reasons because it was a reminder that Penn State can be competitive. It was a reminder that Penn State uh, did know still how to play football in in the current age that they were in. Uh, and you know you can say what you will, you know going back on, you know obviously Joe Paterno probably still uh, was a little bit more reluctant to make some of those changes that he ended up making, but and maybe it took him too long to do that. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, I think the pain and suffering that went through the, the previous couple of years, uh, I think you saw the leadership really kind of rise up and say, we are not leaving Penn State with that being uh, the legacy we leave behind. We're going to go out there and turn things around. So the 2005 season is certainly one of the best seasons, uh, certainly in the Big Ten era for Penn State football. But I think many people that have been following Penn State football for a longer than I have would probably agree that 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 season was pretty special for so many reasons. It didn't lead to a national championship, and it probably wouldn't have because of what how good Texas and USC were that year. But Penn State ends the year at number three, and I think it was a hardly or hard deserved. Uh, number three ranking at the end of the season. And I think it's one that they can take a lot of pride in being a part of and uh, having witnessed it uh, from the point of view that I had, it's something that I, I I think will be remembered for a very long time because of all the seasons I look back on Penn State football, that 2005 season was one of the most fun seasons that I ever had uh, following this program. Now, of course, uh, the epilogue to that is, uh, you know, a couple years later, uh, 2008 season comes around. Some new characters are releasing some uh, big spots. And, of course, this is another Big Ten championship year. Uh, They end up do going, do getting a chance to get to the Rose Bowl where uh, they fall short against USC. But, you know, there was it wasn't necessarily the bounce back season that they needed like they did in 2005. But the 2008 season was just another confirmation that, you know, Penn State can still be pretty uh, competitive uh, as far as a Big Ten contender is, you know, not maybe not necessarily a national title contender, although they probably came a little bit closer in 2008 than they did in 2005, if not for that Iowa game. Uh, but there was uh, there were still a lot of reasons to be proud of that season as well. 
And of course, it would take a while for Penn State to get back onto the Big Ten championship caliber level. Obviously, a lot has happened between 2005, 2008 and where we currently are right now. Uh, some coaching changes, uh, obviously a lot of drama off the field, but I think that uh, you know what we saw with, with Penn State winning the Big Ten just a few years ago uh, was, again, maybe that was the, the kind of 2005 season uh, for this current age under James Franklin. So we'll see what the story tells for Penn State for years to come, but I think years from now, when you look back at that 2005 season, I think people are going to have a lot of fond memories. So let me know what you think about the 2005 season. You know, what are your some what are some of your memories? What are some of your favorite moments? I do think at some point when we get involved with the live streaming on Twitch, we're going to go back and watch some of these games. Uh, I'm going to try and dig some up from that 2005 season. I know we're going to be able to watch that Ohio State game, uh, but I, I want to see if we can dig up any of the other games from that year. Uh, we can have some fun looking back on some of those highlights, and maybe we'll cut them up and you know, put together a little compilation. Uh, podcast of sorts uh, so it, it, there's still some plans to go back and watch some of those games with you guys in the live stream again we're only doing three minimum shows per week so we have some extra time to do some of these other things that's why we've got the instagram account up i'm working on getting the twitch page up and running so we have a lot of stuff on the docket but we will continue to have those conversations with you here right here on the podcast so let me know what other seasons you want to talk about uh, this week and next week, because again, I still have a couple seasons that I know for sure that I'm going to be talking about, but I would love to hear your input and hear what kind of, what, what seasons you think are the best in Penn state French or school history. So, you know, chime in on the Twitter and on the Facebook, and we'll try to get you guys involved in this as well. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and uh, stopping by and spending some time with me. Hopefully I was able to keep you entertained and kind of bring back some happy memories. Uh, Again, if you're stuck at home, I feel sorry right now, but we're going to try and uh, make this as easy as possible moving forward. So make sure you are subscribed on all your favorite podcasting apps and listen on your smart home devices. However you listen to podcasts, you can subscribe on all of them. You can rate and review. We genuinely appreciate your feedback as well. And, of course, we want you to be a part of the show, so make sure you connect with us and send us your questions and comments on Twitter at LockedOnNittany. Check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. And check out our new Instagram page as well. There's only a couple posts up there right now, but believe me, there will be many more to come. Uh, the best way to do that is to go to Instagram and search for LockedOnNittany. We should pop right over there, or you can just go to Instagram.com slash LockedOnNittany. And again, we do have that YouTube channel. Go, just go to YouTube and search for Locked On Nittany Lions. Should pop right up there for you. So again, we'll uh, take another look at another past season with some fond memories in tomorrow's episode. There will be a Friday episode for you before we hit the weekend. And I cannot wait to talk about it because it's one of my personal favorites. So look forward to that. Got a lot of stuff coming up your way as well. And that's good. Uh, Make sure you have a great day. Go wash your hands. Stay safe. Stay home. Stay isolated as best you possibly can. Hopefully you guys are all getting through this and we're going to try and get through it together. So have a great day today, guys. Go 1-0. We'll come back and we will talk to you again tomorrow.